No one expected much from him. He was an ordinary kid with some functional problems. <laughs> he couldn't even speak fluently until he was nine years old. And some people believe that he lacked even the normal mental capacity to function well in society. He was expelled from school. Later, he was rejected admittance into polytechnic school. And I know you're thinking I'm talking about Dave. I'm not. <laughs> None of this stopped Albert Einstein from becoming one of the greatest scientists this world has ever known. At the age of 22, another ordinary guy was fired from the newspaper where he worked for not being creative enough. And then one of his first attempts to make it on his own failed, and he went bankrupt. And few would have expected that Walt Disney would ever achieve the level of success that he did, let alone winning 32 Academy Awards. There's something that draws us into stories of people who overcome failure and obstacles and grow to defy all expectations and succeed. We like the idea of ordinary people. People like you and me, or at least me. who are willing to press on, to make a difference in our world, some days doing well and other days wondering, what in the world are we doing? I was sitting the other day in a coffee shop, and I was with my son John, and there are two guys that come in. One of them has chains way down to his knees and comes up, and he's dressed very flamboyantly, the other guy has on a Vietnam vest, and we spoke to them, and they sat down, and they've been in church ever since for the last four Sundays. They told us they were part of a killing man motorcycle club, and we kind of related a little bit, and I'm thinking, God, are we going to do this all over again? <laughs> I'm too old to act tough on a motorcycle, you know. <laughs> From 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no man, no human being, might boast in the presence of God. I want you to get this this morning. Successfulness is not about what we can do in ourselves with our giftings and our abilities, but it is a matter of faith and obedience to the call and promises of God. So today we're going to look at the story of Abraham and see how God chooses an ordinary man to begin an extraordinary journey and how he makes a covenant with him to bless him. You remember that the fall, 
in the Garden of Eden was among the darkest moments in the history of the world. But even though God brought light and hope with the promise of an offspring who would one day crush the head of the serpent Satan, the world that came to be was looking for that person who would do exactly that. And every generation after the exile from Eden waited in expectation for the child to be born. But generation after generation passed away, still waiting for God to fulfill that promise. And then God spoke to Abram. Let's read from Genesis 12, 1 through 4. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, to be honest with you, when I felt that God was speaking to me to go to Spokane and plant a church, I honestly thought, I think I'm too old for this. I'm not sure I have the energy. Then I read this. God spoke to him when he's 75 and says, I want you to go. I have a purpose for you. These verses record the Abrahamic covenant, an everlasting covenant that God made with an ordinary man. God called Abram to take a step of faith. He asked him to leave three things in verse 1. Leave your country, leave your kindred or your relatives, and leave your father's house. And God said that if you do this, I will do three things for you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless your name, make it great, and I will make you a blessing to the nations. It might be difficult for us to appreciate the gravity of this calling because we live in a very mobile society with much looser connections to family. But for Abram, this was a calling for him to leave everything that he knew. His identity, his security, and his life as he knew it. You know, I think many of us want to serve God as long as he lets us be comfortable, have the enjoyments of life, and experience the pleasures that we know were meant for us. I have a friend who is kind of ticked off at me because he was planning for me to be part of his enjoyment, giving me the keys to his cabin and enjoy time together. And when I told him that I was moving to Spokane to plant another church, he wasn't, yes! He says, are you serious? God says, I want you to make a move 
And it may cost you your identity as to who you are. It may cost you your security. It's going to cost you your life as you know it. But I have something in store for you and for your life. If Abraham trusted God, God was going to give him to a greater degree everything that he was leaving behind. God says, I have a future for you. And in that moment, Abram would have to decide whether or not he trusted this God that he possibly had just met. But if Abraham would trust in God alone and step out in faith and obedience, he would receive the blessing of God as an act of grace. Not because of who Abram was, not because of his pedigree or his wisdom or his wealth, but because of God's unmerited favor or grace. So God's making a covenant with Abram. I'm going to give you a new land. I'm going to grow you into a nation. Through you, all the nations shall be blessed. And I'm going to make you a conduit of my blessing so that through you, the world is going to experience me. So Abram, it says, went as the Lord had told him. And he traveled to Canaan. And when he reached Canaan, he went throughout the land and experienced the protection of God and his blessings and material wealth. But there was still one part of this covenant that God had made with him that was beginning to gnaw away at him. Read it in Genesis chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continued childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. In verse 1, the after these things refers to Abram's successful battle against some kings in the area to rescue his nephew. Then God spoke to Abram in a vision to remind him of his faithfulness and his protection. But Abram responded with some doubt and possibly cynicism because he had not yet been blessed with a son even though he had been promised one. So in an effort to help God out, he resigned himself to having a slave in his home be his heir. And isn't it interesting how often we mistake God's apparent inactivity for his inability? I don't know about you, but I struggle with patience. I want God's blessing, and I want it now. 
When we went to prepare to plant this church in Spokane, some of us walked up and down the streets of the area called Hilliard, and we put about 3,100 invitations on doors. And then we mailed out 10,000 invitations to the people in that area. And there was very little response. And after that first service, when people didn't show up, I was discouraged. I'd like to be a man of faith. But sometimes I get discouraged with God saying, not yet. I was sitting at the table, and I looked over at my wife, who was in the kitchen. There were big tears coming down her cheeks. I said, what's wrong? She said, did God bring us here for this? Because she dearly loved Missoula and the lion's den and the worship team. And sometimes we confuse God's plan. And we confuse that our timing is not his timing. And it's easy to get out of step with God and begin to major on things that are not important and settle for less than God's best for our lives and to screw up God's plans and purposes for us and then to lose our first love and fail to see how messed up we have become as we focus on things that are temporal instead of things that are eternal. It reminds me of the man who had 50-yard line tickets for the Super Bowl. And as he sits down, another man comes down and asks the man if anyone is sitting in the seat next to him. And he replied, no, the seat is empty. And the man said, that is incredible. Who in their right mind would have a seat on the 50-yard line for the Super Bowl, the biggest sporting event in the United States, and not use it. And somberly, the man said, well, the seed actually belongs to me. I was supposed to come here with my wife, but she passed away. And this is the first Super Bowl that we have not been together since we got married in 1967. And the man said, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. But couldn't you find someone else, a friend or a relative or even a neighbor to take the seat? The man shook his head and said, no, they're all at the funeral. <laughs> Listen, guys, life is not about you. Rick Warren began his book, The Purpose Driven Life, that way, didn't he? Life is not about you. Life is not about your agenda. It's not about your desires. It's not about your enjoyment. 
It's about God's call on your life and fulfilling the plans and the purposes that he has for you so that he can make you a blessing to the world. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, Paul says, Your attitude, John, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, And gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what was the attitude of Jesus Christ? He was a servant. He was humble. He was compassionate. He was obedient to his heavenly father. And these are the attitudes that make great leaders. It's not really our gifting. It's not our abilities. It is are we willing to follow Jesus with the right attitude for the right purpose in the right direction and be obedient to the call of God on our lives, whoever we are. You may lead a church or you may not. You may feel like you are the lowest rung on the ladder in the church. God has a plan and a purpose for you, and he has called you to be his follower and to be a blessing to those in your world. Jesus knew his purpose in life. It was to seek and to save the lost and to reveal the truth of the gospel to mankind. And listen, guys, we can't get this wrong. Your purpose gives you direction in life. It defines success and failures in your life. It helps you realize your role and it shapes your life. Jesus knew what his purpose was. Even when Satan came and tempted him, he didn't let the temptations to distract him. When the people wanted to make him a king... He didn't give in to their wants and their desires. So I ask you, are you willing to pay the price of being a follower of Jesus? Are you willing to trust God with your future like Abram? Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Following Jesus, guys, is not always easy. Sometimes there is a big price to pay. Jesus knew there was a price to pay to fulfill his purpose. And yet, he was willing to do it from the beginning to the end of his journey on this earth. You probably have all heard of the Irish explorer, Ernest Shackleton. 1914, he set out to cross the Antarctica by foot, 1,500 miles from the north to the south. 
He intended to use 39 sled dogs to lead him, dogs that were eventually butchered and eaten by his desperate crew, something that Josh would do. At one point in time, his crew had not set foot on land for 497 days. It's one year, four months, stuck on ice floe. They lost their ship on crushing ice floes and for months lived on the ice. And when the ice floes began to crack and melt in the summer, they boarded three life rafts and they sailed 800 miles in open sea to Easter Island. It makes you wonder, how did Shackleton get men to volunteer for such a hazardous journey? Well, they signed up in response to an advertisement that he placed in the London Times. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful. In spite of this, men came from all over to sign up for the crew. And Shackleton said, follow as I lead, do what I say must be done, and I'll get you home. And incredibly, two years later, he did. Here's what I want you to understand. Leaders are great followers. Godly followers are available to serve when I first went to London, many of you know, went over there for three months and enjoyed, Miriam and I went together and we enjoyed ourselves immensely. But at the first hub meeting over there, I was asked by Trevor to share why I was there. And I'm thinking, well, I'm here because I was invited. But what I said to the guys was, I'm here because I'm fat. And people kind of snickered, kind of laughed. (laughs) And then I said, what I teach at the lion's den is this. I'm fat, F, faithful, A, available, and T, teachable. The reason why God can't use some people is because they simply aren't faithful. Or they are so busy with everything else in their life that they're not available. And they already know it all, so they're not teachable. Godly followers or godly leaders are great followers and they are available to serve. Godly followers pay attention to needs. Godly followers do every job with dedication. Godly followers are consistently faithful. Godly followers are okay with being behind the scenes. And Jesus made it clear, before you can be a leader, you must be a follower. And Jesus followed his, follower, his father's plan to the detail. And there in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus chose followership over leadership. And he said, not my will, but yours be done. Listen, guys, you and I need to lead by example. 
Some people lead by authority of position. Some leaders lead vocally by letting everyone know that they're leading. Some leaders lead by fear or manipulation. But real leaders lead by example. I remember a father that said to his children, Don't do as I do, do as I say. (laughs) We are to lead by example. We are to follow Jesus. And he set an example for us. And when God uses you and I to lead and to help change lives, we must realize that people will be watching us and looking at our lives. And if our actions are not consistent with our message, they will not follow us. And it doesn't matter how good of a communicator you are at work. It doesn't matter how good of a school teacher you are or how good of a bus driver you may be, if you want people to follow you into the arms of Jesus, you have to set an example that is worth following. Your life comes down to one simple question. Is Jesus the leader of your life, and are you following him? Let's come back to the story of Abram in verse 4. God responded to Abraham's doubts and frustrations by telling him that he would have a son, son, and then he took him outside and invited him to count the stars, and he told him that his offspring would would be beyond Abram being able to number them, and it says, Abram believed God. This is an old guy. You're going to have a son. He believed God, and God credited to that, that belief to him as righteousness. And Abram's faith has been the model for all believers. Salvation comes from God by grace through faith. When Abram placed one foot in front of the other in obedience to God's calling in Genesis 12, he was demonstrating faith. And in this moment, under the starry night, he believed that God could do the impossible. And on the basis of his faith in the word of God and in the promises of God, righteousness was credited to him. And in faith, Abram looked forward to the day of Christ the Redeemer coming. And like Abram, when we trust in the promises of God, we are credited with Christ's righteousness. He says it comes by grace. There's not anything you can do to earn this, Abram. I am going to make you a blessing, and I'm going to bless you because of who I am, not because of who you are. And through that, I'm going to make you a blessing to the world. So we come to God sinful and unworthy, but through faith, God accepts us as his sons and his daughters and says we are worthy because of the righteousness of God. Of Jesus. So Abram believed God, but his faith was far from perfect. But 24 years after God's initial call to Abram, God appeared to him again. Look at Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, 
I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and, now see the change here, your offspring. At first it was between me and you. Now it is between me and you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abram, or Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Guys, when God calls a person, he causes them to come just as they are. And through faith in him, he gives his people a new identity. God declares that they no longer are marked by their sin and their past and their disobedience, but now they are marked by his righteousness. And this is what we call justification. But God's not content to leave us where we are. So through the work of the Holy Spirit and the intentional experiences of life, God grows his people and he molds them into his image so that they will live out their new identity rather than their old identity. Who are you in Christ? There's, we at the, uh, in Missoula the, was the lion's den. We have an addiction recovery group that meets on Monday nights. And one of the things that I shared with the leader years ago is when people are addicted to their sin, if they are addicted to their alcohol or they are addicted to their drugs or are addicted to something else, when they come to Jesus... They no longer are identified with their past. They have a new identity. They are now called saints. It's not, hi, I'm John and I'm an alcoholic. It's, hi, I'm John and I have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I am righteous, not because of who I am, but because of who he is. And this process of God molding us and changing us is what we call sanctification. It goes on throughout our life. I'd like to say, I have finally arrived. My wife would say, no, you haven't. 
So God was changing Abraham and growing his faith over the years through this process of sanctification. And the result was a deeper faith and a growing obedience. And God marked Abraham's changing life with this new name. And no longer would he be called Abram. Now he would be Abraham, the father of a multitude. So as we read of God changing Abraham, we cannot leave sight, leave, leave sight of this bigger picture. Abraham was part of something that didn't end with him. When I said, life is not about you, it's not about me. One of the things that I am very aware of, and I think it happened when I thought I was about to leave this world and enter into heaven, and I was totally at peace with that. I called my wife and Asked her to close the door. And I shared with her some things. I asked her to pray for me. And I was totally at peace with going home to be with God. But through tears I said, I don't really want to leave you. But I came to realize in the days that followed... I am part of a bigger picture. And what I do doesn't end with me. It doesn't even end with the next generation. God says to Abraham, I'm going to make this covenant with you and your offspring and their offspring. This will be an everlasting covenant. And guys, for us in the church today, God wants us to realize that we are part of a much bigger picture. There is a world out there who is hungry. They are waiting for someone to share with them the gospel. Don't ever forget that. The gospel, not your church, not your pastor, not your friends. They need to hear the gospel, the good news, even though we have fallen, even though we are sinful, there is a redeemer, there is a savior, there is someone who has come to bring you new life and to do away with your past and set you free from the bondages that you have been plagued with. Jesus has come to give you life abundantly. And he is at the right hand of our heavenly father right now. And he is making intercession for you. Guys, that is the gospel. And we have the privilege of being part of this plan of redemption to the world. God has called called us to help us to be world changers so that we can be on mission with him by living out and sharing the gospel with our world and our generation. Hillary Clinton became somewhat infamous when she referred to some people as the deplorables. But the story of Abraham reminds us of God's unending faithfulness, his grace and his mercy to take the morally deplorable and make them shining examples of faith. And like Abraham, God's plan of redemption doesn't end with us. We are to be conduits of his blessing to the rest of the world as we live out our purpose, our calling, and our mission to take the gospel to the world. Let's pray. Let's stand.
Father, you are an amazing God. And in your faithfulness and grace, you have looked at us as your children. And you have said to us, I want to make you a conduit of my blessing to the world. Though we may be ordinary men and women who stumble and fall, you continue to call us to yourself, forgiving us and blessing us once again. So for your glory and your praise, we lift up your name and we ask that you would make us bold ambassadors of the gospel of Christ, both in our words and in our deeds. And may we, Lord, be able to see your plans and your purposes fulfilled as we follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.